0: Good morning. Um, The reading this morning comes from Titus, chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live not to be slanderers or addicted to to much wine, but to teach what is good, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the, world of God, the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything, Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us.
1: Well, thank you, Bow, for the reading. Uh, <clears throat> this morning we're obviously in our second uh, session at looking at our vision statement, which is over there, so sorry if you can't see that over there. I will put it on the board in a little while. I think I've got some PowerPoints going, is that right? Yep, wonderful. Uh, now let me pray and we're going to have a look at what it means to be uh, intergenerational. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your grace, thank you for your love, and thank you that uh, we are intergenerational. Thank you. There are generations of us in our church. Uh, and Father God, we pray now that as we open your word uh, that we will give you great glory, that we will come to an understanding of what it might mean in your eyes about what intergenerational actually means. And then give us, re- give us ideas, Lord, to uh, aid a nurturing of that within our church. So Father God, bless us now as we open your word. And help us to come confidently to it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Washington Post newspaper, now back in 2018, uh, had an article. Might just need to click back on. Yep, had, had an article. Uh, it, it was uh, about some self-proclaimed, and these are their words, not mine, old coots uh, who used to meet in a delicatessen every Saturday morning. Uh, They began growing tired of the same conversation every week. Uh, They were solving all the world's problems, but they didn't have anyone else to tell about. So as a joke and tongue-in-cheek, they set up a card table at a nearby farmer's market and told people they were dispensing free advice. They even made that banner that you can see, which said, it's probably bad advice, but it's free. Now, to their surprise, people started showing up and asking for uh, advice to their problems. Uh, a lot of them uh, were, where can I find somewhere to love? Uh, someone to love, not somewhere to love. That wouldn't make any sense. Somewhere to love. Have I put in enough time at my new job to take a one-week vacation? Uh, they filled a questions about how to keep romance alive. And retiree Richard Klein said, I always tell people the first thing you do is put down your phone and start talking. Uh, each Saturday, these old coots, have taken on the issues of about 30 to 40 people who come by seeking their advice. Uh, It's a way for a person to get an outside opinion from somebody who has nothing to gain, said member Tony Caputo. Somebody told us the other day that we're the most popular attraction at the market. We always listen carefully and don't give gratuitous advice. A 69-year-old John Lesnan said, to be truthful, I'm not sure that any of us can claim to have much wisdom, but it sure has been a lot of fun. Maybe all of us coots really do have more to offer than we thought. I hope that's not a bad word. I don't know what it means. Uh, You can go on YouTube now and they've been interviewed on TV. They're all over the place. They're uh, quite dynamic now. But I think that article is a real good insight into where our culture is shifting. See, for decades now, we've been heading down a track of independence, The goal seems to be that we will do things our way. We don't need anybody else giving us advice or telling us what to do. We have believed the so-called wisdom of the world and believe that we forge our own path in life, that we are the captains of our own souls, that we don't need anybody else. And particularly, we don't need the advice of the older generation that just have differing opinions. And then you marry that up. With pre-COVID, take COVID out of the question, the ease of travel, and we've started living away from parents and grandparents, and we've started connecting with people of our own generation, and a lot of our wisdom ends up coming from the one generation. So we don't have as many uh, hands as much hands-on guidance from one generation to the next when it comes to family or even our life. And it often leads to relationships primarily with our own uh, generation. And so when a group of older men like this jokingly put up a sign to give advice, honestly believing that nobody from another generation would be remotely interested, they are actually shocked that the other generation might want to listen to their advice. See, that's where we've come to, a state of independence, where we don't really interact between the generations. But this is the sharing of life between generations. And in some way, the old coots and those that they give advice to are experiencing something called intergenerational moments. That's intergenerational And so as we look at our vision statement this morning, and I'm going to read it out to you now, and just to remind you, so it's up the back there, we are a caring intergenerational community following Jesus and impacting people with his love. We are intergenerational. But what does intergenerational even mean? It's one of those words that we've put in there, but I think it's the one word that you kind of go, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to state the obvious. It's made up of two parts, inter and generational. And central to our understanding is what the Bible says about the generations. In fact, the word generation or generations in the Bible, uh, it's mentioned 154 times. And that's not to mention words like descendants and others that have that same sort of inference. See, central to the promises of God, central to living in the ways of the Lord and central to the message of salvation being proclaimed to the ends of the earth uh, is that it goes from generation to generation. Well, let me just uh, read you some Bible passages and sorry if that's a bit small for you, but you can listen. See, when God made a covenant or a promise to Noah following the flood, that he would never bring destruction via a flood through the whole earth again. He set the rainbow in place as the sign of that covenant. He explicitly references the generations to come. Genesis 9.12 says, this is the sign of the the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. And when God makes the covenant with Abraham... He says this in Genesis 17 7 I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And God, when God reveals his name, Yahweh, to Moses, he says in Exodus three fifteen Say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. You can go through the prophets. You can go through every part of the Old Testament and you see reference to the generations and the descendants and those who will come after you. See, these promises of God are not just for that generation, they are for all generations. And in response to these promises, which have been fulfilled in Jesus, we are the other side of the cross, we know that every promise has its yes in Jesus. In response to this, just as the Israelites were meant to respond to the promises with a life worthy to live in the land with the Lord, We are to live a life worthy of living with God, the Holy Spirit, as we follow the Lord Jesus. And so it's not just the promises that are for generations, but it's the response to those promises that are for all generations. And this is called discipleship. And that's a generational concern. See, when Jesus was... uh, When Jesus was... Uh, tested by the Jewish scholars of the law, the law being in that context the first five books of the Bible, he was asked which is the greatest commandment and he says, you'll know this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Well he's, well, he's, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6.4, known as the Shema which the Israelites hold very uh, very firmly as a prayer for them and he's Uh, And he quotes this, but I want you to listen to how these commandments were passed on from generation to generation as we expand that in Deuteronomy. It says, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, this is a model that has always been at the heart of generations and particularly related to families. The generations were to impart the ways of the Lord to the next generation, to raise them in the Lord. And don't think this is just Old Testament. In Ephesians 6.4, Paul says this. He says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See, generational passing down of the ways of the Lord, how to respond to the realities of Christ and the promises of God. Uh, Val read Titus 2 for us. And while some of you, and I'm not going to exegete Titus 2 today, but some of you might have read some of those things, but there's some cultural realities going on there. But in effect, what uh, Titus has been told is to teach the older women to urge the younger women to live lives worthy of the Lord, which will bring him the greatest glory and for the older men to encourage the younger men to live lives worthy of the Lord, which will bring the Lord the greatest glory. In fact, Paul models this teaching to a younger generation by writing his letter to Titus. He begins uh, begins the letter saying, Titus, my true son in the common faith. See, Paul sees it as his role to impart to the next generation the teaching and the doctrine and the ways of the Lord. And then he goes on in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, which is just after what was read. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. See, the promises... And the response to those promises are meant to be passed on from generation to generation, both within families and just within the covenantal community of the church. But it's not just the promises and the ways for living, it's the message of the gospel itself. See, Paul in his letters, he's constantly revealing that there's a false, false gospel that's being preached. And the only way that that gospel is going to remain uh, true and firm is if it's passed on clearly and it's taught clearly to the generations as the generations move. So in Galatians 1, 6-9, Paul says this. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Notice how connected your life and the message of the gospel is there. Which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than, the, the, than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. See, the gospel is intertwined with a life that expresses the gospel. And the only way... For someone to know how to live in right relationship with God is to hear the good news of Jesus and be instructed in how to respond to that. I think of Acts, and you think of Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. It's the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip, he's called, God, the Holy Spirit says to him, "Go, go to the desert road. He doesn't know much more, and he goes to the desert road. And he goes, go up to that chariot. And so you can imagine him running alongside this chariot. What am I doing here? And then he hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading from the book of Isaiah. And he realises why he's been sent there. And he says, do you, and the Ethiopian eunuch stops the chariot, probably going, what's this fellow doing? Stops the chariot and Philip says, do you know what you're reading? He goes, how can I know unless someone explains it to me? And so Philip gets up in the chariot and explains to the Ethiopian eunuch who the lamb was that was slaughtered, who the gospel is centred on and sends him away to evangelise into Ethiopia and the African nations. You see, this is so critical when we understand intergenerational it is the passing down between generations and generations. But what is the interpart? So it's generational, but what is the interpart? Well, I'm just going to, I think it's related to the idea, the difference between independence and interdependence. See, independence is freedom from the... And this is I'm really sorry, but this is straight from dictionary.com. I didn't have an Oxford Dictionary standing by. But freedom from the control, influence, support, aid, or the like of others. So independence wants freedom from everything, basically. Interdependence is mutually relying on one another. And I can guarantee that a church that thinks that its individual members can be independent of one another is no church at all. See, we often desire independence when we become teenagers. We want to be free from the shackles of our parents and the demands and rules. We can't wait to get the driver's licence. So we can be free to go anywhere whenever we like. Now, I remember that first drive that I ever took without my mum or dad sitting beside me in our Mitsubishi Sigma, 1979's Mitsubishi Sigma. It wasn't in 1979, but Mitsubishi Sigma. It was wonderful. And I still appreciate that the policeman didn't give me a ticket for pulling out in front of him erratically when he pulled me over. That was the highlight. See, the the problem with independence, however, it's really non-existent. In some way, you are going to be dependent on someone else. I still had to ask my mum and dad for those keys to the car and I was dependent on them owning a car and allowing me to use it. All right, So I go and buy my car, I set up my own business so I, I can rule my own uh, finances and my life. I can be successful on my own terms. I move into my own place and, uh, and I live by my own rules. Well, I'm still dependent on people buying whatever product and service that I've decided to set me up to have this independence. Oh, by now I'm a self-funded retiree. I'm free from anything and anyone. What about your health? I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to fix yourself as the years go on. How independent can you be of medical health? What about the breath that you breathe, the roads you drive on, the food you eat? Go and take a trip out and see what the farmers go through all year. The clothes you wear. Those people over in, uh, in other countries making our clothes for us. The electricity you use, the tools that are made so you can independently build something. See, the ideal of independence It's really a a furphy, I guess you could say. It's one of those things that you grasp at, but it's never real. You can never really attain it. But it's been sold to us as some sort of ideal so that people can sell us products and get us investing and trying to make us independent of everything else that's going on so that they can be dependent on us buying into the independence. It just gets out of control. See, but I think when you recognise that independence is actually an immature way of looking at life and that we need interdependence, so we have to recognise that God created us to be mutually in relationship in order for the world to work. Even I read this week, China and Russia realised this as they both are on paths to conquer the world and take over the world, they've formed an alliance, which is quite scary when you think about it. But even they recognise that if they don't support one another and have some sort of reliance, they're just going to end up butting heads and, and implode. So in order to take over the world, they need each other until they can discard and I guess one of them becomes more mighty. See, those who believe they are independent struggle with the idea of this interdependence. They either see it as a sign of weakness or they simply refuse to accept it as necessary. And I think intergenerational is the same. We mutually rely on one another in the generations. And yes, there is a big picture in the Bible of the older generations. Imparting, it, uh, imparting truth and the gospel into the following generations. But don't miss in Titus that it's Paul who's getting Titus to give the wisdom to the older generations in order to fulfil that. See, the generations need to be uh, working together in the church, let alone the world. See, that's the design. The generations need to be a part of the church and it needs to be into and a mutual reality. So at the heart of this recognition is the expression of the character of Christ. See, to recognise and become mature in your faith that you will be interdependent on other people and that you can't live in a silo in your faith. When you recognise this need for one another, I think uh, the best passage that sums this up is is the way Jesus uh, expressed or the way Paul expressed it about Jesus. And it's in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11. It says in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. It's a wonderful uh, reflection that if you, if you think about uh, the Trinity itself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm sure I've said this to you probably several times but my favourite Greek word from college is perichoresis. It's this, this dancing uh, image of a dance that goes faster and faster until everything becomes one and you don't see the people. I don't know if that's physically possible, but that's the idea of it. It just gets faster and faster. And it's used to describe the interrelationships of the, of the Trinity itself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are so at one with each other, but they can't—they can't be separated. You separate them, and you're creating blasphemy. But if you—if you don't recognise their individual individual personage as well, you're, you're creating a heresy. So it's this interdependence, even in the Godhead, that should make us recognise that Christ, Church, and the image of the body, and all, is interdependent, and this is intergenerational. I remember at college someone describing the time they had, uh, had to give a presentation to one of the foremost scholars and one of the foremost Christian writers in the world. Now, I was trying to remember who it was and I'm almost certain that they were talking about Jerry Bridges. So if you know who Jerry Bridges is, uh, great author, I thoroughly recommend him, very practical writer about the life in Christ that we live. And they were describing how they had to give this presentation. And Jerry Bridges was in the room. They were fresh out of college. What could they possibly uh, impart to Jerry Bridges? But they related how it was Jerry Bridges, out of everyone in the room, that reached to his bag, opened up a notebook, grabbed his pen, and started listening for something that he could learn. Some way of growing, trusting that God uses all people, regardless of generation, to impart some sort of knowledge. And I think that's always struck at me. See, that is humility. And that is at the heart of what being intergenerational is. It isn't just recognising the state of the church at this moment. Intergenerational is thinking beyond this moment. It's thinking into the future. In fact, it's thinking beyond... Even when we are still on this earth, the promises of God weren't just for that generation. We should be thinking of how we are remaining, uh, keeping the gospel and and the ways of the Lord central to all we're doing, not just for the generations in our church now, but beyond. This is a kingdom matter. It goes beyond Glenbrook Baptist Church. But here's the problem. We don't like the same things. If you notice that, we don't like the same music. We don't like the same orders of service. We don't like the same buildings. Even we don't like everything the same. Well, yes, we don't. But I'm going to be blunt with you right now. And I'm hoping this is biblically honest. I'm sure it is. That's not what matters. Your wants in the scheme of all this, and this is the big lesson of humility and what we can impart to the younger generation, what you want isn't actually the thing that matters here. we're talking about the passing on of the most important wisdom that you can ever pass on. We are talking about things beyond this church service, beyond this building, beyond all the things that we often spend our time talking about and praying about even. We are talking about the passing on of God's promises, the passing on of their fulfilment in Christ, the passing on on how to live out your faith the passing on on the true gospel by grace, through faith, in Christ. See, I'm going to give you two newsflashes. I don't even know why I wrote newsflash. I should start charging you subscriptions. Here's two news flashes of the week. That's, I don't know why I've written that. But anyway, newsflash. Everybody in the church we'll need to sacrifice something. And at times, you may need to sacrifice lots of things. If you are committed to intergenerational passing on of the most important things of the gospel, the things where moth and rust do not destroy, if you are committed to that, you will need to sacrifice. That's just the way it is. And that's not just one generation, that's all generations. But I tell you, the older and more mature you are in your faith, by sacrificing, you're actually passing on, through what you do, the gospel and how to live it out. There is nothing more powerful than watching someone in humility. I tell you, that illustration about Jerry Bridges should be an everyday occurrence for us. Laying down what we believe is rightfully ours. So how do you know that that's the way? Well, you look to the cross. You reflect and meditate on the sacrifice that it cost you and me to have faith, to be reconciled to God, to be back into relationship with him, to be saved from darkness and put into the light, to be redeemed from our slavery to sin, to our freedom in Christ, to be taken from a destiny of eternal hellfire to a destiny of eternal hope and light and love in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. In other words, we need to take our heads away from ourselves and start looking beyond this generation. Now, I'm not saying you have to sacrifice what you firmly believe is most important in the church and whatever. I get it. And this is also why I think that perhaps intergenerational church is not just about the Sunday service I think this is one of the dangerous mindsets that we can get into we think that we are an intergenerational church if all generations are in the same service, now I'm not saying that wouldn't be beneficial, don't hear me wrong here I can imagine a picture where we're all just, oh in perfect relationship, know each other's names, that we, we are serving one another sacrificially in love. I'm pretty sure that's the picture of the Bible. But there's some logistics around that. And that, that is, well, size, we're in a COVID reality. There are a lot of factors. I think intergenerational church goes way beyond that. It is about purposeful relationship. It is about purposeful, uh, looking to what, how we are going, intentional ways, not just to spend 20 minutes down in morning tea with uh, the younger people up there and, uh, and, and watching the kids run around and the older people down here. I don't think that's, that's kind of intergenerational. I think it's how we develop relationships, how we we encourage the younger generation to be drawing on the wisdom of the more mature in faith, how how we integrate that somehow in the church. Now, maybe everyone at the same church service can contribute to that. But it must go beyond that. It must. That was my second newsflash, by the way. I don't think intergenerational church is just all coming on a Sunday for an hour and a half in the same space. We have to get creative. Now, it starts with the family, and I know this is where it gets hard because our culture is that our families are all over the place. We're not going to the same church anymore. This isn't like Israel in the Old Testament where they're all living in the same homes. This isn't the culture that we live in. It's not the same as Asian cultures where where married couples often live with one of the parents and all that kind of thing. This is not what we're about here in this culture. So we're talking about we don't have as much access and easy access to that intergenerational reality. So we have to get creative. So I think intergenerational really is at its core the passing on of those gospel truths that will never perish spoil or fade, the ones that will be carried through into an eternal time and if we have, to, we have to be creative about that then we have to do that but we have to stay focused on ensuring as a church that is what we're about Now, I don't have answers. I'm not about to give you a list of all the things that I think we should be doing as a church. I've heard some great ideas in the last week, actually. But like I did last week, I'm going to leave you this week with just one question, and I would love you to bombard my email or write me notes about it. What initiatives could we invest in to see our church develop as intergenerational. So what initiatives could we invest in to see our church develop as intergenerational? Remembering that intergenerational is about the passing on of, of, the, of the promises fulfilled in Christ and the ways of the Lord to live. This is discipleship. Now, every church is struggling with this, I can tell you. Every church... That I know in Australia, just about. Some of them are doing some great work in it. But how do we get discipleship programs going? How do we get that interaction and relationship happening? Well, that's the that's the uh, that's the question I'm leaving for you this week, and I'd love you to bombard me with that. Well, let me pray. Uh, I'm not sure I've answered your questions. Hopefully we've gotten something out of the Bible. Uh, it's the one week I wasn't really looking forward to, to be honest, because I had I couldn't just pick a passage and go, well, that's what it says. But I think we have to hold firm to what uh, the whole meta-narrative of the Bible is. Well, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this uh, reality that you have been uh, fulfilling your purposes out through generations and that your promises for all generations until that day that the Lord Jesus returns and uh, he takes his home to be with him. Father God, we pray for our church. We pray that we will be intergenerational. What that looks like, Lord, is not easy. And Father, we pray for wisdom now. We pray that you give us a movement of your Holy Spirit to give us insight into the areas we need to work hard in, uh, to the areas we can invest in, and to programs even or or, 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 or initiatives which we can bring about so that there can be an intergenerational reality for our church. Father God, for those who are working hard in this area already, who are serving in youth or are actively serving in ways which are seeking to impart knowledge and wisdom into the, into, into the other generations, I pray that you will bless them, Lord. I pray that you will bear fruit from their ministry. And Father God, I pray that as we go forward, there won't be one generation that misses out, that we will be seeking uh, to bring all generations forward in faith and to grow together in the love of the Lord Jesus and the ways of His, uh, the expression of that. So Father God, bless us now and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.